The What Would It Take podcast is co-produced by Anabaptist World and me, Ben Tapper. The views expressed here are my own and do not necessarily represent the official positions of Anabaptist World. To learn more, visit anabaptistworld.org. You are listening to episode three of the What Would It Take podcast. This week, we're exploring maternal and infant mortality rates in Black, Native, and Alaska Native women as we wrestle with the question, what would it take for our mothers and children to survive? In April of 2016, 39-year-old Kira Johnson went to the hospital to deliver her second child. Kira and her husband had been thrilled when they found out that she was pregnant again and were anxiously awaiting the arrival of the newest addition to their family. After her scheduled C-section, Kira began to complain about severe abdominal pain. She eventually began to shake, turn pale, and even became sensitive to touch. At one point, her husband Charles saw blood begin to come through her catheter and he knew something was seriously wrong. He, along with other family members, pleaded with the medical staff, and one member of the team even told Charles himself that his wife Kira just wasn't a priority right now. A CT scan was ordered but never came, and Kira's condition continued to deteriorate. After 10 excruciating hours, Kira's doctor finally took her back for an emergency surgery. That was the last time Charles saw his wife alive. When the doctors opened Kira's abdomen to see what was wrong, they discovered that her bladder had been cut open during the C-section and that she'd been bleeding ever since. They saw nearly three liters of blood in her abdomen and her heart stopped immediately. What should have been one of the most joyful days of Kira's life ended up being her last. You're listening to episode two of the What Would It Take podcast. This week, we're exploring maternal and infant mortality rates in Black, Native, and Alaskan Native women as we wrestle with the question, what would it take for our mothers and children to survive? Keep listening to find out more. As tragic as Kira's story is, it is far from the exception. In the United States, there are between 700 and 900 pregnancy-related deaths every year, depending upon how one uses the metrics. Worse still, two-thirds of those deaths are preventable. For each death, there are 70 near-misses, which means that thousands of mothers face near-death situations unnecessarily, and we've known about it for decades. And those numbers don't include the number of infants that fall victim to the systemic inequities of our healthcare system. Black infants are more than twice as likely to die as white infants. There are 11.3 deaths per 1,000 babies compared to just 4.9 per 1,000 for white babies. That disparity is worse today than it was in 1850. Yes, you heard that correctly. The disparity in infant mortality for black and white babies is worse today than it was a full 10 years before the start of the Civil War. All of these numbers mean that we lose nearly 4,000 black babies every single year for reasons that are largely preventable. And for a nation that is supposedly pro-life, we are failing abysmally at protecting black and native lives. When we discuss maternal and infant mortality, it is important to know what we're measuring. The WHO, which is the World Health Organization, defines pregnancy-related maternal death as the death of a woman while pregnant or within 42 days of termination of pregnancy from any cause related to or aggravated by the pregnancy or its management. 
Using this definition, the U.S. sees roughly 700 mothers die every year. For the purpose of this episode, however, I'm using a slightly expanded definition and time frame. There is an increasing sentiment and growing consensus that the definition should be expanded to include any death that happens within a year postpartum and to include causes of death such as suicide or homicide, which can be influenced by and exacerbated by pregnancy and childbirth. As a result, I'm defining pregnancy-related maternal mortality here as the death of the mother during pregnancy, delivery, or any time within one year postpartum. When using an expanded time frame and definition, the U.S. experiences roughly 935 maternal deaths every year. Worse still, black mothers are three to four times more likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than their white counterparts. While the same disparity doesn't exist for Latinx mothers, there is a large disparity for Native women and Alaska Native women. According to the CDC, by 2017, there were 41.7 deaths per 100,000 live births for non-Hispanic black women, 28.3 deaths per 100,000 live births for non-Hispanic American Indian or Alaskan Native women, and those numbers plunged to 13.4 deaths for non-Hispanic white women and 11.6 for Hispanic or Latina women. Now, there are many questions that this data brings out, and even 11.6 deaths per 100,000 live births is still far too many. Yet it pales in comparison to the nearly 42 deaths per 100,000 live births that black women face. I should note here that researchers remain puzzled at the low rates of maternal deaths among Hispanic and Latinx women, and more work needs to be done to parse out the data for the various subcultures within the Hispanic demographic. As we know, the term Hispanic is an arbitrary term invented by the U.S. government. It is important then to understand that there are tens of cultures and even ethnicities within the Hispanic umbrella, and understanding the differences in health outcomes within each may help us paint a clearer picture. Unless you're tempted to say, ah, well, the Latinas are doing fine, so this isn't about racism. Let me again point your attention back to black women and native women as strong evidence to the contrary. The U.S. built its political and economic system on the backs and blood of black and native people, so it makes sense that these women are still bearing the brunt of this systemic injustice. Where there is smoke, there is fire. And speaking of fire, American Indian and Alaska Native mothers are 4.5 times more likely to die from pregnancy and childbirth-related causes than non-Hispanic white mothers. Nationwide, American Indian and Alaska Native infants are nearly twice as likely to die by their first birthday as non-Hispanic white infants. Again, where there's smoke, there's fire. This definitely is still about systemic racism. Unfortunately, greater educational levels and income are not enough to protect black mothers from the horrors of the system. Just recently, Serena Williams made news when she shared the story of the birth of her daughter and talked about how she was ignored by medical personnel and it nearly cost her her life. Once again, according to the CDC, a well-educated African-American woman with more than a high school education has a five-fold risk of death compared to a white woman with less than a high school education. Let me say that again. A black woman with more than a high school education has a five-fold risk of death compared to a white woman with less than a high school education. You may be wondering how this could possibly be true. How could a star such as Serena Williams, with all her wealth, with her education, nearly die from pregnancy? 
according to a New York Times article in 2018, the answer seems to be racism. For black women in America, an inescapable atmosphere of societal and systemic racism can create a kind of toxic physiological stress resulting in conditions, including hypertension and preeclampsia, that lead directly to higher rates of infant and maternal death. And that societal racism is further expressed in a pervasive, long-standing racial bias in healthcare, including the dismissal of legitimate concerns and symptoms that can help explain poor birth outcomes, even in the case of black women with the most advantages. That was a quote from a New York Times article about this subject in 2018. Basically, it boils down to systemic racism, worsening the health outcomes of black women in general, and the implicit bias that leads to negligence once they encounter their healthcare system. Researchers at the Kaiser Family Foundation have identified several factors that influence the health outcomes for mothers and infants. They include economic stability, neighborhood and physical environment, education, food, community, and social context, along with the healthcare system. Within each factor, systemic racism and discrimination play key roles in affecting health outcomes. For instance, when looking at economic stability, systemic racism might create variations in debt, income, expenses, and support. Or if you're looking at education, we might see disparities in literacy, language, or vocational training, all of which affect outcomes like mortality, morbidity, and life expectancy. Put plainly, Decades of systemic racism have undercut each of these factors for women of color. Now, you might be thinking, okay, Ben, I'm with you so far, but what does this actually look like day in and day out? Well, let me give you a couple quick examples. If you are living in a neighborhood that deals with food insecurity or you're living in a food desert, that means that you don't have access to affordable and high quality grocery stores near you, usually within a mile. And so as a result, you might depend upon places like a Safeway, a Jordan's Fish and Chicken Shack, or some other lesser quality food option to feed you or your family. Well, relying on those highly processed foods day in and day out is ultimately going to lead to worse health outcomes for you and increased likelihood for conditions like diabetes and heart disease. And if you have diabetes or heart disease, then there's a potential that those will get exacerbated during pregnancy, leading to further complications, some of which may ultimately be life-threatening. Or let's assume that everything goes according to plan before your pregnancy and during your pregnancy. Even if that's the case, when you get to the hospital, it's true that for black and brown women, they are often perceived to be in less pain than they actually are by their medical staff and those who are working with them. And when they do report feeling pain, they aren't believed. This means that their symptoms and the cause of their pain goes untreated for much longer than it would if they were white. As a result, conditions like eclampsia worsen and ultimately become life-threatening. Now, let's say that you did not live or grow up in a food desert, and let's say that when you were at the hospital, the doctors and nurses treated you with the utmost care and respect. Well, it's still the case, according to the Kaiser Family Foundation, that people of color are more likely to be uninsured and face other barriers to care than their white counterparts. Now, Medicaid can help fill these coverage gaps during pregnancy and for children, However, women of color are at an increased risk of being uninsured prior to their pregnancy, and many still lose coverage at the end of the 60-day Medicaid postpartum coverage period. This means you could find yourself sitting at home with a two-month-old and no insurance coverage. As a result, you are less likely to seek care when you start to feel unwell, and problems that could be preventable or treatable begin to grow and become exacerbated, once again ultimately becoming life-threatening. 
you can see whether we look at this through the lens of food insecurity, access to healthcare outcomes, or treatment in the hospital, or any other number of variables and factors, there are a myriad of ways that systemic racism and these inequities affect black women and native women day in and day out, and ultimately cause these terribly high maternal and infant mortality rates. We shouldn't need our faith to inform us that mothers and children need to be protected. This is simple. If we allow people to die when we have the means to prevent it, we're failing. Childbirth is a precious gift for those who wish to experience it. It's holy, a true work of the body and spirit that undercuts every claim that our flesh is antagonistic to the divine. Childbirth allows us to participate in the divine work of creation and revelation. We're working with God to unveil the mystery of life. And that work is not meant to kill us, and it certainly isn't meant to kill those we've created. Now, tragedies will always happen, and they'll often be inexplicable. But the reality is, and the truth is, we know why this is happening. And to live with an ethic of love means that we must take this travesty seriously. This grief is preventable. True faith requires action, and that action must be rooted in both justice and love. Here are some things we can do to put some movement to our faith. Eliminating systemic racism is a tall task indeed, but there are some victories that we can win along the way to ensure that there are more birthdays and fewer funerals. First of all, we know that doulas can help. For those not familiar with the term, a doula is someone who provides physical and emotional support for mothers before, during, and after childbirth. My son's mother and I utilized the support of a doula during pregnancy and childbirth, and it made a major difference. Our doula helped us create a childbirth plan, gave us an idea of what we might expect during the birthing process, and even offered continual care throughout the labor and delivery process itself. I honestly can't imagine going through any of that without her support. A scientific examination of 26 studies and nearly 16,000 subjects found that pregnant women who received the continuous support of doulas were 39% less likely to have C-sections. In general, women with continuous support tended to have babies who were healthier at birth. Last year, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists released a statement noting that, quote, evidence suggests that in addition to regular nursing care, Continuous one-to-one emotional support provided by support personnel, such as a doula, is associated with improved outcomes for women in labor, end quote. So basically, women who have access to doulas tend to have healthier babies and safer deliveries. We need doulas, and we need to make sure they're covered by insurance so that all women have access to their life-saving services. We also need to expand Medicaid coverage and the Affordable Care Act. This is a no-brainer. With increased access to affordable medical coverage, women and infants are encouraged to seek care sooner rather than later. According to the Center for American Progress, research shows that Medicaid expansion indeed saves lives. A study from the American Journal of Public Health found that Medicaid expansion states saw infant mortality rates decline, with the greatest decline among African American infants. Using the same data source, the Center for American Progress estimates that expanding Medicaid in non-expansion states would avert 141 infant deaths per year. Finally, we should expand access to maternal care, family planning, and reproductive care. Abortion and contraceptive coverage must be offered through insurance without restrictive barriers. I'm not here to have a pro-life or pro-choice debate. 
Whether or not someone carries a pregnancy to term, frankly, is between them, God, and their doctors. I will note that there are a lot of reasons why access to abortions actually saves lives, and restricting that access is not aligned with an ethic of love. According to the Center for American Progress, studies show that when women experience an unintended pregnancy and are forced to carry an unplanned pregnancy to term, they are likely to delay prenatal care. This can result in poor maternal and infant health outcomes. A woman's ability to choose if, when, and how to give birth is inextricably linked with her overall health and well-being, her economic security, and her educational attainment. I want fewer mothers and infants to die as a result of childbirth, and one way for that to happen is to ensure that people have access to all of the information and services that they need. I threw a lot of numbers at you today, but the truth is that far too many families are mourning when they should be celebrating. Maternal and infant mortality rates disproportionately affect black and native women, and up to two-thirds of these tragic deaths are preventable. So what would it take for our mothers and children to survive? Well, we know the answers. Now let's get to work. Thank you for listening to the What Would It Take podcast. To view the source material for this episode, check out the show notes. If you'd like to find more great content from Anabaptist World, visit anabaptistworld.org. And if you want to learn more about me, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter as Benjamin J. Tapper. Benjamin J. Tapper.